Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, your favorite Elixir podcast, where we discuss Elixir and other interesting topics from around the Beam community. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I am joined by Chris Bell. Hey, Desmond, how's it going? Uh, it's going all right, Chris. Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm just, I'm just impressed. You just nailed that intro, you know. Thanks. You know, sometimes, sometimes it just, it just all works out. Sometimes, very occasionally. What the listeners don't know is like we often have to re-record the intro because Desmond doesn't prepare anything. Yeah, we joke about um, not editing out parts of the podcast where we fumble over our words or something. Like we show everyone that, but we don't show everyone the f- false start intros. Of which there are usually many. So <laughs> it's always something to celebrate when it's like nailed in one, you know? So it's pretty good. Yeah. Everyone knows that feeling of just everything works out right. And it's like, oh, there's nothing, there's nothing better. It's really the best way to go through life. Definitely. You know? Do you want to uh, give the listeners an update about Elixir training? Elixir training. Yeah. So um, we've been working at that. Uh, by the time this episode comes out we should have our elixir training blog up and running um with the first post that describes why we started elixir training what the background for it was i mean there are training courses out there usually attached to conferences and so um i thought i would just put some thoughts down as to why we thought this training was also necessary um and it's really about going out to places where there aren't currently conferences trying to find new people in the community and um, grow the community, which again, we see as two sides. One, there's engineers and one is companies slash hiring managers. So um, it's up on our website. We'll put a link in the show notes, but be sure to check that out. Meanwhile, Chris and I continue to refine our schedule for later this year. We hope to have the dates and maybe not dates, but cities announced in a couple couple weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. Like hopefully we can uh, have like a concrete list of cities that we'll be going to, and then we'll come and see you all. So, or people that you know who you think could benefit from some elixir training. So, should be fun. Yeah. So, uh, if you're interested and want to learn more, please check out our website, which is elixirtraining.io, and put your name into the form. I don't often sign up for those like send me updates forms, but um. It turns out they're kind of useful if you're trying to plan something and you want people to know when something's going down. So, uh, yeah, drop your name in there. We're not going to spam you. I mean, we know how that stuff goes. Uh, but we'll let you know when fun things happen. Yeah. And then the other thing that I've been looking at is trying to find bars for this Elixir Conf, like little <laughs> MPEX drinks thing that we are going to do. Uh, so... For those of you that don't know, um, every year ElixirConf rolls around and we at MPEX like to do a nice little get together um, where we host some drinks in a bar. We spend a bit of our uh, cash that we sometimes have left over and sometimes <laughs> comes out of someone's pocket. Um, and then we just, we love to have a bunch of the community there, have some drinks and yeah, just have a good time. So last, last few years we had it at this great pinball bar, right? Which was in, place that i forget outside of seattle it was in downtown seattle in uh, belltown the bar was called shorties there you go and uh, this year it's going to be in denver and aurora colorado and i was like trying to look for bars and nothing really jumped out yet so uh that's an ongoing saga for me but if any of our listeners live in the area and know of fun bars that have pinball machines then please get in touch uh we'd love to hear from you I haven't been to Denver in a long, long time. I don't know the city that well. 
Yeah, I've never actually been, so this is going to be my first trip. So I'm, I'm kind of oh, looking fun. forward to it. I've been meaning to go for a long time. So uh, it'd be good to be out there, hang out with the community and see some great talks. So looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So Desmond, on with the show. Right? On with the show. What do we got in uh, store today? We have a, a very special episode. As people who have looked at the title of the podcast have guessed, we um, have a guest here with us. Um, he is an engineer at Klarna, has been working with Erlang for quite a while. He is the creator of the Closural Project, which is a closure implementation on the Erlang VM. Please welcome to the show Juan Focoro. Hello. How are you? Hello, Juan. Hey, good to have you on the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Where are you coming in from today? Uh, I currently live in Stockholm. Nice. Nice. The the very Erlang central place, I guess, right? Yep, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of uh, people here. Well, a lot. More than uh, I'm from Buenos Aires. So there was, where I was working, it was only Inaka, the company that I was working for. Here, there are a bunch of companies mm-hmm. that use Erlang. So are there companies that don't use Erlang? Is it kind of like the out the out groups if they're not doing Erlang in Stockholm? <laughs> I think so. But, I mean, there's a bunch of uh, companies. I mean, I don't know if Stockholm is... Uh, every city says that they are the Silicon Valley of Europe. Stockholm seems to be one of the those that claim that. Right. So did you move there for the Erlang or can you tell us a bit about uh, your background and how you got into Erlang in the first place? So originally I was looking for a job in Buenos Aires uh, doing closure and uh, I went to this meetup that was uh, for Erlang uh, because it was functional and it, uh, it tickled my curiosity and then when I went to that uh, meetup then I talked to uh, Brujo Benavides, which is uh, mm-hmm. like known in the community. He used to be the CTO at Inaka. And uh, since I was looking for a job, I talked to him, they interviewed me, and then I ended up early in, uh, learning Erlang uh, working at uh, Inaka. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, so you were, before that, you were doing closure? Is that, that's what you said? Well, I was doing closure for, for um, college. Uh, mm-hmm. I had never actually worked in production or in a job with a closure. So, yeah. I was trying nice. to get into closure. What um what was the draw of closure for you? I always thought of Lisp as a kind of magical thing <laughs> that I never got into. And then when I finally did, I did to come a list, but that didn't feel very modern in mm-hmm. some way I mean, it didn't feel like I thought it would it should feel and then I mm-hmm. found closure and it was on the JVM and uh, they were doing all these cool things uh, on the on the community so that hooked me in and uh, yeah that was, that was mostly in about uh, about what year was this that you were getting into closure 2011 I guess mm. Yeah, it was like when everyone was getting into closure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. on the hype train. I see. Exactly. And, uh, 
Juan, for our listeners, can you give us a bit of background about closure and what uh, what it is as a language and, you know, give us a bit of depth about it, if you can. Yeah, so closure is a, a list, basically. Uh, it was implemented or designed, as far as I understand and the things that I've read, uh, as a language that could be hosted so that you could run it and on, for example, the JVM, but then interact with the, with the JVM and the other languages that live on it, like Java mostly, uh, in a not painful way. Uh, so interop was a big thing for closure when it started. And, uh, it, it also provides a lot of, uh, abstractions and, uh, tools like, uh, collections and functions to Manipulate this collection. Uh, they are, they all have the same protocols. I mean, this is something that Elixir people are very familiar with because protocols are uh, incorporated as a feature in, in Elixir. Okay. And so Clojure brings this and also originally was designed so that uh, to provide constructs for concurrency to make concurrency sane on the JVM. Uh, this was the beginnings because, uh, one of the main, main drivers for Rich Hickey, as far as I, I, I remember, was that doing concurrency in, uh, or building systems with concurrency in mind in the JVM was a pain. So, and then once, uh, I'm not sure when ClojureScript came up, but then they also, Built closure script, which is basically closure in that uh, transpiles to JavaScript, and then you could have closure on the client side and closure on the server side. And then some person uh, also implemented closure CLR, which is closure for the common language runtime for .NET. Mm-hmm. So I mean, all these things kind of made a point that closure was. Uh, a language that could support interoperability with different uh, hosts, uh, the hosts basically, host VMs or so yeah. So so what happened? I mean, I rode that hype train, the closure hype train, for a little bit back mm-hmm. in those days um, as well. I didn't get as into it as as you did, right? Um, but I I kind of fell out of the community fairly quickly, mm-hmm. and I'm curious what happened next for you. I mean, what was your what was your journey through that that ecosystem like? So I was always a a non looker from the outside because my professional work was has always been so before Erlang and before Closure I was doing uh, .NET, uh, C sharp mostly. So when I was looking for Closure and find found Erlang an Erlang job, so Erlang had all these. And the Erlang VM had all these uh, constructs that were so simple to think about in terms of concurrency, in terms of uh, building systems that uh, that scaled. At least the, the things that we were doing at Inaka, the, the company where I learned Erlang, we were building backend for uh, mobile applications, and uh, it didn't take. It was quite simple to build a system that would scale for, it was mostly for MVP products. So someone came with an idea, they wanted the mobile application and they wanted the backend, so we built that. 
So all the concepts that I learned that Erlang provided were very, it, they came very natural after a while and that they made uh, thinking about systems and about concurrency and about all the things that we needed to support for this client very, I don't want to say simple because it's not, or easy, because it's not, uh, you have to put time and work on it. But it's still, it was so much saner, I guess, than what I had experienced with other languages. So you're firmly in the, uh, on the Elixir train right now, but you're still, you're still thinking about closure. Yes, because there are also pain points with Erlang. So I'm fairly on the, on the, I've, I've used Elixir, uh, limitedly because when it came out and it became kind of popular, I said, okay, let's give this a chance. But most of my work has always been with Erlang, mostly. Mm -hmm. So, but Erlang, uh, has some things that, uh, Clojure has. So Erlang has, has, doesn't have some things that Clojure has. One of the things is protocols. Another thing is uh, data manipulation uh, functions and um, tools. Uh, also, closure is quite succinct. Uh, you can; it's very um, expressive in that sense. So there's all these things that make the experience of writing code a lot better, in my opinion, in closure than that in airline itself, and. I think Elixir is closer to that, but it doesn't go. I mean, for, in my opinion, it's uh, it, it's still not the same as writing closure or using closure. So here you are, mm -hmm. there you are, I should say, and you decide what the Erlang VM needs is closure. Um, nothing on the platform really gives me the thing that I want. I mean, there is lisp flavored Erlang, mm -hmm. um, which uh, I think you said doesn't really, it doesn't have that modern feel to it. It doesn't have closures, uh, niceties, and expressiveness. Right. Um, so you think that this VM needs, what it needs is closure. Yeah. So the, the, I wouldn't say that the genesis of me trying to implement closure on the airline van came from that side. It was more, can I do, is, can this be done? And if, if I can, or if, if it can be done, then will it be, maybe it will be useful. But, uh, it was also a process of both learning how closure worked and how the airline VM worked and providing a, I mean, ideally, I would on my day-to-day -day job, I would like to build to use Clojure on the airline VM. So it was a project to bring me closer to that, basically. Mm -hmm. I, and, uh, can Can you talk a bit about why you would want to do that? Like, can you? Um, so obviously, Clojure typically, uh, as you said, is on the JVM, but then also runs on the CLR. But why bring it to the to the beam? So the beam. The JVM has some characteristics. The beam has like a garbage collection, uh, all these things that uh, we in general prefer the airline VM because it doesn't have all this stuff. All these uh, processes are garbage collected uh, separately 
and uh, so the beam is a very powerful uh, virtual machine. I mean, it's not like the JVM isn't because it's also a very uh, remarkable feature of engineering, mm -hmm. but they have different characteristics. So just as you would want to, so the, I got lost. Can you ask me a question again? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were talking about uh, why, like, why the beam versus the JVM. So what what characteristics were you right. looking for, and do do you like like in your day to day on the beam as well? So OTP is a major thing that you have, uh, but I mean, even though that is part of the libraries around the virtual machine they were designed based on the fact that you have the beam to work with. I mean, processes, message passing, uh, failures, monitoring, linking, and such. So OTP is a great set of tools that allow you to build systems on top of that and uh, reliable systems. So reliability and observability is two things that I value a lot more than the times that I was the short time that I was working with the JVM and the time that I was working with the CLR. I mean, the CLR may have come a long way since the last I worked with, but at the time, it didn't have what the Beam offered. Mm. So is your goal for Clojure to be something that people use in production? Um, is it more of a place for people to explore Lisp in this in this environment? Ideally, I would like to get it to a production uh, quality language. I mean, I for for that to happen, I would have I would have to spend a lot more time uh, on this. So the first two years that I worked with uh, with Clojure on the on the Beam, I didn't publish it because I wasn't even sure that I would get to, to a usable place. Once it got usable, then I said, okay, maybe this is something that other people would be interested in. And since then, a lot of the things uh, that I've been doing is uh, bringing it closer to parity with uh, all the features that Clojure has and also making it uh, performant enough so that you could actually use it uh, in production because uh, some abstractions have a cost uh, okay. implementing them uh like the way that they implemented right now, so yeah. Um, so can you t can you tell us a little bit about that journey of how you go from hey, you know, it would be cool closure on the beam to actually writing a language that works, <laughs> right? Can you tell us about like how you even started on that project? Right. So uh, I have that. There is a talk that I that I did for uh, closure. ConfD, so Conjure Germany. It was two years ago, or I don't know, I remember it was 2018 or 2017. But there I talk a little bit about the, the, the process, so, and, and what to think about. It's more oriented towards closure though. Uh, so initially I was, uh, thinking, I was listing all the features that, uh, closure has and if they could be mapped some way to what the what the beam provides because things like uh, things that rely completely on mutability they can't they can't work really well in the in the beam 
I mean, you can always have ETS and then ETS tables and then refer to those, but uh, those aren't garbage collected. So, I mean, there's a bunch of things to consider. So I listed all the features. I wrote the document uh, with ideas. And then the closure itself has a, the compiler has a structure where you have the reader, which reads strings and returns data structures. And then you have uh, two other passes that, that end up with uh, actual uh, beam files in this case. But, but yeah, I mean, the process was figuring out the data structures and data types then uh, figuring out the big building blocks of language, which in the closure case is bars and namespaces, and then implementing each of the special forms that are called. So it's basically like uh, the building con the building blocks, the, the constructs where you build the, the language, like, for example, mm -hmm. let or def or all these things that the compiler needs to do, which are quite few for closure. Amazing. So, yeah, I mean, it must have been a great day when you actually finally had a lot of these things working, especially on the building block side, right? Like, was there that moment where you're like, oh, shit, everything actually works now, you know, and like, I can write a whole program, like, yeah. what was that like? It was, it was pretty good. So one of the things that Clojure has as well is that they have, it has a very huge uh, standard library, but mm. huge is, yeah, it, it's pretty huge. So once you get the building blocks of the language working, then you now have to compile this huge file, which is like 8,000 lines of uh, code, mm. oh. of closure code. So right. yeah, it was, it was uh, commenting everything, then uncommenting chunks, and then <laughs> <laughs> feeling a little like, uh, it, it, there wasn't a moment where I said, yes, this works because I, 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 every day I found things that didn't work. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. I, I guess it's just that continuous cycle of like, uncomment, run your compiler. Oh, no, it doesn't work. Yeah. Fix something. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. go through that over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, can, can you talk a bit about, uh, the kind of concurrency patterns that you have here and what you can leverage, uh, of the beam enclosure as well? So, concurrency patterns are something that, Closure the language is very opinionated, but it's also the the concurrency construct that, that it has are very very oriented towards what the JVM does and doesn't offer. Mm. So in closure, you have you don't have a process like memory isolation like you have in, on the Beam. So you basically have references that uh, you share between threads or yeah threads, not mostly. Uh, so it's the the constructs for closure don't necessarily or don't uh, adapt or don't apply to the beam. So mm -hmm. ideally, my idea, and this is something that this is another thing that should be laid down for someone to be able to use the closure closure in production, is that concurrency should be done with the, OT the OTP way, basically, or the beam way with Clojure. And uh, things, there are a couple of, I don't know if you want me to mention what the concurrency constructs are in Clojure itself. Yeah, I yeah, think okay. that'd be great, sure, okay. actually, yeah. So 
So there are mostly four. Uh, one is a bar, which is basically a reference that uh, can be uh, unreferenced or dereferenced uh, from anywhere. It holds the value. It has a, a root value, and then it has a thread value. So for each thread, you can reassign the value, but it will keep the root value once you get out of that thread. So then there is there are agents, which are uh, a value that you send functions to, basically, and then that value uh, it doesn't it, it mutates because it's always the same reference, but it's it always holds an immutable value, basically. So you. For example, you initialize it as one, you send the increment function, then it atomically changed, then you send the next function, it atomically changed, and at any point you can dereference this, this value, and depending on what step or what function it has processed, it will return you one of these uh, states that it went through. And that agent, uh, does it act as a mutex? So if a bunch of threads are trying to update the value at once, it serializes that access? No. So it's always it either returns the value that it has had or the new value. So it doesn't uh, lock. That's the thing. Okay, but if I'm trying to mutate that value, yeah. if two threads send it the increment function, right? It they they it serialize. Yeah, those those two increment uh, functions are serialized. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it, one after the other is applied. Yes. Right. Okay. Right. I didn't understand that. So then you have, so uh, agent, I look at it sometimes, or it may, reminds me of the task uh, function in, uh, or the task uh, feature or module in Elixir, but I'm not, it, it's not a one-to-one -one mapping though. So then you have also atoms, which are values that are atomically changed, basically. They are different uh, from agents in that you just, apply something and then it's compare and swap. So if a value was, if the value that you saw was dif is different from the value that uh, after updating the value that, so let me rephrase that. You had a one, you read the one, you increment it and then you read it again the one and it's, it, it isn't a one anymore, then you retry again. You retry with the new value and then until the the value that you read is the same before doing the modification is the same value as you read just before you modify it. Was that clear? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think I understand where you like. Okay, yeah. it's uh, it's it, it compares first and then swaps the value. So if it wasn't, if it's not, if it was changed for some reason, then it uh, it retries the change with the new value that it sees. Right. So, and the, the fourth uh, type of uh, concurrency construct is uh, S, like STM, kind of a uh, software transactional memory, kind of a mm -hmm. uh, reference. All these, all these things are called references in general, but there's a specific one that is uh, called a ref, which is uh, you can do transactions uh, with the value. So you have a bunch of refs and you put them inside the same block and either they are all changed or none or, or none is changed. Wow. So, cool. yeah. 
I haven't seen that much uh, usage of Rev. I mean, originally, though, this is one of the big things, the big features that Clojure was uh, maybe not publicizing, but known for. People said, yeah, you have SDM, you have SDM. Mm -hmm. But then I don't think a lot of people use it because it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I haven't seen it used that much in libraries or things. Um, can you can you talk about how those map to their Erlang equivalents then? So obviously on the Beam you're talking about processes still. So mm-hmm. and, and it sounds like a lot of these the constructs that you're talking about are they sound like very like they're dealing with I think as you said they're kind of dealing with the constraints of the JVM. So they're all about threads and locking, right? So how does that translate into processes and then uh, message passing, I guess, as well? Right. So in the in the case of bars, for example, it's kind of useful that you can uh, in the for at least in the implementation. So bars are one of the building blocks because uh, you basically define a var in a namespace if you want to define a function or a value in that namespace. So namespaces are kind of like modules in Elixir or Erlang, but uh, more flexible in some ways. So. Bars are the ones that are thread local or they have a root value. So you can do that in the Erlang VM because processes, you can, processes have the dictionary, their own dictionary. So if you want a value specific for that bar, then you can just store it in the process dictionary and uh, the var mechanism will just first look in the process dictionary and then if there's something there, it will return that. Uh, then Atoms are also kind of uh, useful. In this case, they're useful for. There is a new ETS uh, in twenty one, I think OTP twenty one or twenty that allows you to do the compare and swap operation that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So you can keep values in this in an ETS table and then change them as as you atomically as you need. Then agents and refs are something that I I haven't implemented because I struggle to see the the case uh, in the airline VM. Mm. I did look into tasks because it, uh, of Elixir and how it was implemented because it was kind of similar, and I wanted to. So I stole some ideas from Elixir when I implemented Closure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the main ones was. Uh, yeah, so I, I did a deep investigation on how protocols were implemented because they were, I mean, Elixir developers, like core Elixir developers, probably thought a lot of time of how to make that uh, the most efficient way. Mm. Uh, also, I took a bunch of ideas for macros from Elixir. So, because they do a lot of magic there. <laughs> So yeah, uh, and going back to the concurrency, uh, ideally my my goal was to implement an OTP library for enclosure so that uh, you could easily do, so that the friction to use OTP in a list like uh, language wasn't uh, high, mm. but I haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, because right. I mean, un- unless you're really thinking about actor-based systems, supervision trees don't make as much sense right and a distribution doesn't make as much sense and it's interesting this conversation about like the concurrency model 
has mostly centered around how do we store state in concurrent systems, whereas I usually think about it as how do we do work concurrently? Mm. And um, how does Clojure do work concurrently? Like, does it just spin up new threads? Is that not really the focus of its concurrency model? So uh, underlying the underlying implementation of these things that I mentioned, there are uh, thread pools, generally. Mm-hmm. So they are not spawn, so they don't spawn threads. So there are, there are some constructs like uh, future, for example, that you can send, uh, so start a new thread, but it's still inside a thread pool. So mm-hmm. when closure starts, it creates uh, all these thread pools that then it, that, that it then uses. And yeah. And is that a limit on your concurrency if the thread pool only allows you to have 100 threads? I, I, I think it is, but a lot of, I mean, you can always configure a thread pool to increase as much as you want or up to a threshold. And I mean, the JVM has, uh, so Java, the language has, uh, concurrent uh, library, which is uh, very feature-rich, and uh, mm-hmm. it gives you all these knobs and different uh, tools to adapt to your need. So in that sense, mm-hmm. it's pretty nice. Uh, one of the things that I would like to have on the Erlang OTP out of the box is a pool of some kind. That, that So a pool... Because right now, what I'm struggling with is the fact that agents should have a pool so that if I did implement agents, which sound uh, useful for some cases, it would be nice to have a pool of processes so that you just can spawn like as many processes as you want and have infinite uh, processes for each agent that you declare. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to re-implement a pool just in Clojure. And I don't want to use a dependency because right now there are no dependencies that I'm using. Right. So, I, I, yeah. Right. Hmm. Right. I was going to say because otherwise you could use something like Poolboy or yeah, whatever, right. Like, and if, if you could pull in the dependency, that makes sense. Cool. So, can you tell us about where you're at with Clojure then, and then what's next? Like, so it sounds like you got a lot of it working. But it sounds like there's a bit more to left to do, right? Yeah. So I, one of the, I have uh, like three main works, uh, three main lines of work. One which I have never really started, which is documentation, uh, and that's an important thing. So what I've been struggling for a lot of time is the fact that closure is itself the language. So, so closure is already a language. So if people want to learn Clojure, they can do, they can uh, go to Clojure documentation, but then they go to the Clojure on the Beam documentation and they don't know what to do because they don't know Clojure. So should I write documentation for Clojure in general and then be specific for Clojure on the Beam? So this is something that I, I'm lazy and I haven't started. Uh, the other thing is production ready and uh, performance mostly. Uh, in terms of, uh, there's a benchmark that I have against how much faster closure on the JVM is than closure on the beam. I would like to reduce that as much as possible. So, I mean, it would be fine if it's like twice as, uh, slow. So 
if uh, yeah, if closure on the beam is two times as slow as uh, closure on the JBM because there are some limits that the just-in-time compilation is uh, a big advantage on the JBM. And the third one is to make a decision regarding all these concurrency constructs and uh, the features that are left implementing from closure on the JVM. Uh, so tickets that I've been, that I've created for myself, issues on the, on the project, on the GitHub project, I've been there for some time. Because you also, for concurrency, you also have delay and promise and future that I didn't mention. Because those are not really specific to closure, they are just uh, utility functions that you find in other languages as well, or libraries. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what can people do if they want to help out? That's a good uh, question. Uh, there is a closure channel in uh, the Erlanger Slack. I also create Erlang Slack. Okay. Yeah, it's called uh, Erlanger, and I mm -hmm. also created a, a a channel in the Elixir Lang Slack, but I haven't been monitoring them much because, yeah, I'm I still have to develop skills of uh, promotion and uh, community building <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's essential. So right now, if uh, if I really want to get this going at some point, I have to do that because otherwise it's really hard. You can't be the only maintainer of the project that you want to see grow. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we'd be remiss not to ask about like, you know, there's LFE as well, right? Like, mm -hmm. and obviously that's more Lisp centric than, and it's not closure centric, but. Um, is there any like potential of more crossover between the two implementations? Uh, so LFE has a very. When I started the closure, I looked at LFE and Joxa, which is was uh, an implementation of a Lisp that resembled more closure than uh, than common Lisp. Or uh, so LFE is a very advanced project in, sen in the sense that there are some production uh, systems using LFE as far as I, I've heard. Mm -hmm. uh, but LFE has the philosophy that it wants to be basically a Lisp uh, dialect for actual airlines. So there is almost no space for introducing, or uh, this is my interpretation, it might not be the case, but it wants to stick as much to the underlying airline or the airline that it will produce as, as possible. So, and closure on the beam is uh, is willing to open that gap a little bit and put a bunch of uh, things that I consider nice, so that uh, it's a little further away from what the actual airline code is, but you get some benefit in that space that you open up so but to answer your question i don't see right now how they could uh, come together as the same you can always have lfe and closure on the same project and do different parts in, in these different languages 
So yeah, what is uh what does interop look like? If I have a project in let's say Elixir, can I write a couple of my files in Clojural and have it natively communicate with my Elixir modules? Yeah, so you can Clojural is a dependency. So mm-hmm. if you include it, it will get compiled and then uh, there is a RevR3 Clojural uh, plugin. Uh, so you can include that and uh, if you want, if you have your closure code in some closure code in some uh, subdirectory, you can specify where that is, and then it will. And interrupt interrupt is just uh, parentheses between parentheses, then the name slash the name of the module slash the name of the function, and then the argument. So mm-hmm. wow. if it is there in the code path, it will be called. Desmond, is that something you can see in your future? Having a bit of a mixed project. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. I mean, I think back to when um, Apple introduced Swift, and the big right. deal there was uh, you could write Swift code inside of uh, inside of an Objective C file. Right. Sometimes. Mm, right. And I mean, we already have like with Elixir, we already rely very heavily on a lot of Erlang modules as well, right? So, and I, I think this is one really great thing, and I think. Um, you know, having this whole ecosystem run on the beam and have this great idea of interoperability across all these languages is 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 really cool. If like you can drop that into your project, yeah, it also helps with adoption if you don't have to reinvent everything the whole uh, every time or force teams to adopt your solution whole hog. You can kind of right, absolutely do it piecemeal. Yeah. Uh, do either of you know anyone that's using LFE? No, I. So since I was in Apple was bought by Airline Solutions and overburdening worked for like solutions, we did have some mention of companies that were using LFE in production, but I can't remember who those were because it was a long time ago. Mm, mythical companies <laughs> using LFE. Interesting. Well, I mean, it's pretty cool. Like it's always exciting to see. I mean, first of all, as Chris said, I wouldn't know where to begin writing uh, a language interpreter on top of something else. Um, but also to see the ecosystem grow and people saying, you know, this would be cool. And uh, yeah, how can how can we expand like the offerings of the Erlang ecosystem to include the best ideas from other communities? So something that I forgot to mention is that the fact that Clojure is a multi-hosted, uh, hosted on different uh, VMs, force them to create a feature in the language where you can have a file, a closure file that is called .clj.c and then mm-hmm. inside the file you can say if the platform is this, then this is the piece of code I use. If the platform is this, then this is the piece of code I use. So you can have the same file compiled in multiple platforms. Ah, uh, interesting. So that the uh, interrupt specific things are inside this uh, construct that they included. And that makes it easy to port already existing closure functions into whatever hosted, uh, mm-hmm. into whatever VM. And uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, it has a very bright future then, right? If I could, if I had an existing closure project that I could just say, uh, I want to run it on the beam and via closure instead, that could be, yeah, it's really great. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, I think with that, we should probably wrap up for today's show. But um, Juan, it's been awesome having you on the show and hearing all about Clojure and the future plans for the projects. We will be putting some links in the show notes today for um, the talk that you mentioned and the project in general and uh, and your Twitter as well. Is there anything else you want us to shout out to or link to now? No, I would really like feedback from people if they have used it. But other than that, and help <laughs> if they want. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and where's the best place to get you? Is that on the Erlanger Slack or on the GitHub for Clojure or... Yeah, so I'm I'm really active in uh, GitHub. If they ping me on Twitter, I will eventually see it. And uh, and on the Slack, I'm I'm there now because uh, yeah, I'm paying attention now. Great. So we'll put links to those in the show notes. Um, and if you have any feedback for Juan, please go ahead and uh, give it about the project. So. But as always, thank you so much for everyone for listening today. And uh, this has been another episode of Elixir Talk. We'll be joining you again next week with another episode, as we always do um, (laughs) on this weekly podcast. So if you have any feedback about this episode or any other episode, you can get in touch with us at Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash Elixir Talk. Or you can open up a GitHub issue on our page, which is github.com slash Elixir Talk slash Elixir Talk. So, as always, thank you so much for joining us and thank you, Juan, for being on the show. We actually now do this little wrap-up, but if you haven't listened to Elixir Talk before, at the end of the show we say, keep Elixir in. But just for you today, we're going to say, keep closureling. Okay, <laughs> oh boy. So we're, we're really mixing it up for you today. So, thank you. Uh, are you ready for this? So, keep closureling. <laughs> <laughs> or hopefully try out closureling. Yeah. Maybe that's better. <laughs>